You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry. I'm the co-founder and the executive director of the Center for Christian Civics, and we're glad that you're spending a little bit of time with us. If you're listening to this in the U.S., you're probably inundated with bad news. And you've probably been inundated with bad news for a few months now. It's been nearly impossible to escape. This fall, hurricanes have wreaked havoc on parts of Texas and Florida. Massive wildfires burning parts of California to the ground. The largest mass shooting in Texas history, which, by the way, is different from the largest mass shooting in U.S. history, which also happened this fall. Caribbean islands have been leveled and probably won't recover for months or even years. And believe it or not, my guess is that we're probably just getting started with high-profile stories about sexual assault. Those are probably some of the biggest stories you've been hearing about, but they're just the tip of the iceberg. Smaller storms have left thousands of people without power in New England. Genocides are taking place across the ocean as we speak. If you're digging through your newsfeed or reading a paper to try to find out more about what's going on in your own community, these stories are all probably coming up for you first. And every story we hear about tragedy or about an emergency or about some kind of injustice, it takes something out of us. We don't want to just ignore what's going on in the world around us, but we also don't want to become hopeless or paralyzed by how much there is to be frustrated by, or how much there is to mourn for. So what do we do? How do we absorb so much bad news and still have the time or the energy or the hope left over to actually do something? How can we acknowledge the chaos going on around us and still be excited about being salt and light to the communities God has carried us into. If we're supposed to be overflowing with blessings so much that we pour our blessings out onto other people, what do we do when looking at the world around us makes us feel empty, when we don't feel like there's any overflow to be pouring out? This week, our guest is going to be someone who's stuck with some very hard work for a very long time. Steve Park is the executive director of Little Lights Urban Ministries here in Washington, D.C. Little Lights provides a whole bunch of services to children and adults living in public housing. They provide homework help, after-school programs, weekend activities, spiritual mentorship, job training, employment programs, and really a lot more. Steve's been doing this work for over 20 years, and it's the kind of work that seems specifically designed to wear you down. We sat down a couple weeks ago to talk about how he's managed to spend 20 years face-to-face with the same really hard problems over and over again, generation after generation, but still hasn't lost energy or lost hope. Obviously, the specific challenges Steve is facing, he's running a faith-based nonprofit in urban public housing developments. The challenges he's facing aren't going to be the same ones we all face 
when we're trying to get more involved in our community's government or trying to understand how to pray for politics better. But what he's doing and what the rest of us are doing both require supernatural levels of endurance. And I'm really grateful that we're going to have a chance to talk with Steve about how that endurance happens. So, let's jump into the middle of that conversation now, and then when it's over, we'll pull out a couple ideas from it, look at them in a little more detail, and then move into prayer with Pastor Charles Drew. Um, just go back to, you've been doing this work for 22 years now. Uh, I have to imagine it hasn't been an easy 22 years. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share a little bit about what some of the difficulties or challenges you've faced? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, probably one of the biggest things for almost any ministry like nonprofit working in a low income community is resources is fundraising um it's challenging it's difficult it's a lot of work and there's a lot of administrative work involved especially if you begin to grow and and that can be where people if you don't have the right people in place to help you um and then and then of course just working in a difficult challenged community I mean, you have deaths, you know, you have, we, we recently, a young person that we knew recently got shot and killed. You know, you have to deal with the emotions of like people that you know, you know, some of them dying at a young age. Um, you know, we, you know, we've been broken into, we've, um, we've, you know, gone to many, you know, funerals because death is sort of a part of life in, in these communities. And so, there's an emotional challenge of that. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of different things that can drain motivation, drain energy, if you're not careful. <laughs> uh, how do you protect against that? Or how do you recover mm-hmm. from it when mm-hmm. you realize you've yeah. not been protecting against it? Yeah. Um, I try to not get myself too... Uh, attached to the ministry as a as a form of um, you know enhancing my own ego. You know that if the if the ministry is successful, then you know I feel good about myself. Um, you know I try to pray that I don't my ego doesn't get too wrapped up in the the work. That I don't get my yeah sense of self identity or self worth based on the success or rise and fall of of what little lights as an organization does, you know the joy of the Lord is my strength you know delight yourself in the Lord and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Um, if I have no sense of delight in the Lord, it's like I have to check myself. That means like I'm sort of steering. I'm going the wrong way. That if I'm doing things that that sucks any joy out of life, you know, or even doing ministry, I've lost my way and I've got to recalibrate. That It might mean like uh, taking a day away, you know, it might mean um, taking a vacation with my family, you know, something that that I have to just guard against is just having the joy sucked out of me and doing 
doing things that sort of you know, give me some life, you know, and 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 not working myself into the ground where um, I just think it's all about me and it's all about my what I do. Have there been times when you've let that slip? Mm-hmm. Um, have there been times when you've realized too late you haven't been guarding against mm-hmm. that? Um, I don't think there's ever been a time I, was, I just felt like I'm too late. Okay. Um, like, I haven't had to just, with let's say, like, take three months off suddenly because I'm just totally burnt mm-hmm. out. I have not hit that point. And I, I think... I mean, that is God's grace, to be honest with you. I mean, it's I'm, it's not like I'm this like incredibly disciplined person that I, somehow I've been able to. I really feel like God has given me sort of almost a supernatural, a, a supernatural grace to be able to sustain. Um, but I, you know, I I do try to examine my heart on a regular basis and ask God to help me sort of not fall into that. I do feel like. I try to, you know, die to myself. I do feel like a lot of times it's it's it is when our ego gets too wrapped up, and our own sense of self identity gets too wrapped up in the ministry, is that's when we get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And I've really tried to guard against that. And um, and one of the one of the protective barriers is, is raising children and having a family. It's like, you know, my parents were sort of workaholics in a sense. I mean, almost almost they had to be because they're immigrant parents. Um, they worked 80, you know, sometimes probably 90 hours a week running a small business. Um, so I know the effect that like neglecting kids because of work mm. can have, uh, and I'm still recovering, you know, I knew that I, I'm still recovering from the effects of that. Uh, so really not wanting to do that to my kids. And so having boundaries, making sure I'm spending time with my own children, and making that a big priority, and um, and even if the yeah, organization doesn't grow as fast as I had hoped, or you know, being okay that I don't want to be so ambitious that I'm burning myself out and burning, you know, hurting my children. So I think just guarding against that ambition that somehow my worth is tied up in in the success. So there's a lot in there, and there are maybe two threads of conversation I want to okay. follow up. So I'll just go kind of in order from what you shared. Okay. And the first is you were talking about separating your ego from the success of the ministry. Yeah. Um, and whether that's, in some cases, professional or for a lot of our um, – a lot of people I end up interacting with are either working in politics or they're not, but they're really engaged with politics or they're starting to feel like they should be engaged with politics mm-hmm. if they're not. Yeah. Um, and one of the first problems spiritually I see people run into is that problem of ego, that problem mm-hmm. of yeah. feeling like um, my worth only goes as far as the change I'm able to affect. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you managed to uh, thread this really narrow needle of this work is worth doing? Yeah. Even if it's okay that I don't succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you yeah. kind of balance that staying motivated while also kind of 
separating your sense of self from the Mm -hmm. idea of actually succeeding at the thing you're motivated at. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe I I know myself that I'm probably more likely to make the mistake of getting my ego too involved rather than being not motivated. Mm -hmm. Like, I know I'm motivated to try to serve and, and try to help kids. Like, in a, in a, and again, like guarding against not losing that passion um, by, you know, by t- trying to, you know, try to best take care of myself in terms, of, in terms of my spiritual life. And so I think I've just tried to find ways to make sure I don't lose that hope. I don't lose joy. I don't lose passion and making sure, because I feel like if I don't have that, and I lose motivation, then it's just like, what's the point? Like what, you know, <laughs> even if it, the organization <laughs> is successful, if I'm miserable and hopeless, like there's no point. I, maybe it's because I've experienced depression before, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and finding the hope in Christ really helped me to overcome the depression. It's like, if I'm not experiencing joy, it's like, I feel like that's the, in many ways, that's sort of like the main point for Christianity for me. It's like, I want to have a relationship with God that's life-giving. And if I don't have that, then then what's the point, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so I know that I'm probably not going to lack motivation, but I know I have pride. I know that it's something I've struggled with in the past, and it's something that if I'm not careful, it'll catch up to me. And And I just value, you know... I value humility. I value, it's a core value that it's like, I know I struggle with it, but I know that it's important. And the Bible, you know, pretty clear about the value of humility, of that, you know, we need to humble ourselves before God. We, you know, unless you humble yourself as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I think Christianity has to have a sort of core set of values that you actually try to live by. And I don't think enough Christians value humility enough in our society that we don't take the verses about God's call to humility seriously. And so even though people want to say, oh, you know, we believe in the inerrant word of God and it's like such a obsession sometimes, like Bible is inerrant, but then we easily ignore verses about humility and just, oh, okay, yeah, Bible says we should be humble, but we just browse past it and and not actually like really try to live out a humble life and that's bound to catch up with us we ignore the word of god i mean as christians it's going to catch up to us at some point yeah it's and i think we may have talked about this at some point in the past but Mm -hmm. humility has been one of the things i've been surprised to find I'm learning the most Mm. in my own spiritual walk, getting kind of being part of the team that gets the center for Christian civics off the ground. Yeah. Like the lesson we have kept coming back to over the last year and a half since we started was being satisfied with the amount of work God has equipped us to do in this moment. Yeah. Seeing kind of, this big gulf between what we're able to do at the moment and what we think needs to be done for 
the health and witness of the mm-hmm. church at large in the country that we've been carried into the can it would be very easy to look at that gulf and feel mm-hmm. um embarrassed or inadequate or feel like we're not living up to what we're supposed to be doing or try to give the impression that we're capable of doing more in this moment than we are, but needing to learn to be really not just realistic about what our financial resources are at the moment, what our team resources are at the moment, what our, Mm -hmm. what uh, kind of what the amount of time and emotional and mental bandwidth each of our team members has because we're all bivocational yeah um learning to not just be satisfied with that Mm -hmm. or be okay with that but actually learn to understand that that is the amount of time god has given us that is the amount of financial resources god has given directed toward us for this mission yeah so far and being not just okay with it but celebrating those limitations is so hard you're absolutely right Circling back, um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, having parents who were workaholics mm-hmm. and endeavoring in this kind of very uh, strenuous and very time and energy consuming mm-hmm. ministry, trying not to neglect mm-hmm. your trying not to neglect your own children. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can share just a little bit about. Um, how with such demanding work mm-hmm. you've managed to preserve mental and emotional bandwidth for caring about anything else in your life <laughs> yeah um i think it's it's trying to have some healthy distance emotionally um where every time something goes wrong it just doesn't overwhelm you um and really, pr- really praying for wisdom when it comes to knowing what you have control over, what your limitations are, um, and you have to let go of some things. Like we, it's hard when you want to help people with certain things, but it's beyond what your capacity to do mm-hmm. is realizing that you have limitations you can't do everything for everyone um and and accepting those limitations and being okay when you do see people suffering and you have to entrust them to god and realize i can't try to take on everybody's suffering even in a you know the few communities that we work with and so it's accepting those limitations and but I, you know and valuing you know your children and your family and i mean there's always yeah, it's it's a it's a tough balance my wife works full time at little lights as well so we are often talking about work yeah. at home and i'm sure we've definitely made mistakes and and but we also make sure we yeah, we have time just the family taking vacations not neglecting that um and and really trying to entrust God, even when we feel like oh there are people suffering and we should do something. It's sometimes you just have to entrust them to God, and so it really puts your faith to the test because you feel like there's more, there's always more you can do. But sometimes you have to just trust God and entrust people to God, and and not try to be the savior, <laughs> you know, for the community or for other people. Have you over the years? 
worked with people mm-hmm. either as volunteers at Little Lights or yeah. staff members at Little Lights who yeah. ended up um, getting burned out. Mm-hmm. And what um, what what are some of the common threads in their stories that you've seen? Hmm. That's another good question. Um, Sorry, so many of these are not questions we prepped. They're just kind of coming yeah. out of the conversation. Sorry. Oh, sure. No problem. Um, I think probably a common thread is, um, again, like maybe the people not coming in with a sense, uh, at least a, a really core sense of contentment in their relationship with God. So that the work that they're doing or the successes that they have shouldn't be a determining factor of whether they have a sense of contentment in life. Um, That, of course, you know, you want things to succeed and go well and you want to have impact, but demanding those results be there to have a sense of contentment. Um is usually a recipe for disaster. <laughs> so if you're not coming in with a sense of contentment in your relationship with God and that you're if you are getting your uh, your sense of identity in God, that's usually a not a recipe for success. It, it probably there's going to be burnout. <laughs> and, and you know I know I've known people who have burnt out, taken time off and come back. Hmm. And then maybe even burnt out a second time and come back <laughs> uh, after they've taken time off. And sometimes that's that happens. You know, we all learn these lessons differently. But whatever we've had, fail, you know, failures is trying to learn from it. And so seeing every every both success and failure as opportunities to learn something and grow spiritually and to lean more and trust God more. And so um, being okay with failure and say, you know, there's something I need to learn here. There's something God is trying to teach you. I want to talk about some concrete ways you care for yourself in this. You've been, Mm -hmm. you've talked a lot about the importance of internalizing the truths that scripture and the spirit tell us about where we stand with God. But how do how do you make the time to mm-hmm. meditate on those truths and yeah. when you're trying to drive those deeper into your own heart or open yeah. up your heart to have them push deeper in what do you what particular spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines have been helpful to you mm-hmm. over the years either on your own or in community with others yeah um i think the two things that probably helped me the most spiritually are is prioritizing prayer so for me prayer is the helps me to stay grounded keep a bigger perspective on things that um it feels you know keeps me connected to god and to the kingdom and it's it's a lot bigger than me and and Mm -hmm. and and um that God is doing a work inside of me as I'm trying to do work in the world. Um, So I think prayer, and it's not always like I'm literally like on my knees and like, you know, going to a closet, you know, 
I mean, it's praying even at in the car, times. right? Like just walking around, and you know, t- even sometimes I'll take a walk, you know, take get a mm-hmm. break from the computer and take a walk and just pray, like, and try to have communion with God. You bring up a great point in prayer. Mm-hmm. One of the things we talk about a lot, uh, both internally on our team and in the workshops yeah. that we teach, is that yeah. prayer is the thing uh, that differentiates. Ha- actual living, breathing Christian faith yeah. from just kind of what we would call Christianized philosophy. Yeah. Like if you have the right doctrine, if you have kind of the right belief systems and you're kind of behaving kind of in line with those things, but yeah. you don't have an active prayer life both mm-hmm. privately and with other people, yeah. then you're not in relationship with God. You're kind of just putting together a philosophical system based on the idea that there might be a God and living that out. <laughs> yeah. And that's exhausting. That's living out of your own power. Yeah, absolutely. I think prayer, I can't, I, I just can't even imagine doing little lights without sort of a passionate sense of prayer life. You know, it's not perfect. You know, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm not waking up at six. You know, there's a lot of Korean American, you know, Korean immigrant, who wake up at five in the morning and pray every single day at five in the morning. Like, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, 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 like you said, pray on an ongoing basis. Um, and I think for me, it's like I almost had to pray a lot, and like consi- constantly, because I went through the spiritual attack. And it forced me to like, because I, I was going through so much fear early on in my conversion, that it's like I was also almost forced to pray, like constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, to like almost guard against this fear that was so uh, prevalent, and so um, so that sort of constant sense of prayer has been there, you know, from very early on, and that's certainly been the thing that's gotten me going and kept me going. So, uh, last question: How can we be praying for you? Yeah, just pray that God would um, keep us grounded, and uh, that we would we would be teachable. That we would continue to try to learn from God. You know, that we don't get ever get to a point where we we sort of feel like we have figured it out, <laughs> or you know, uh, we're the answer. Um, that God would help us to maintain and not forget a posture of humility both to God and to the community as well because that can be hard um, and yeah pray that God would provide the re- necessary resources to keep going and to grow and and that um, that we would be really a spirit filled ministry that we wouldn't just become a social service organization that just provides services but that we would um even through the temptations, you know, oftentimes, you know, to get a particular grant, you have to sort of give up your faith element or, or to, to grow, you have to give up your faith element that we, you know, we would stay grounded and, and wanting to be a spirit-filled, you know, Christ-centered ministry rather than just becoming a social service organization because um, that's not, you know, our vision and that's not our mission. So just, yeah, pray that God would keep us and sustain us. All right, that was part of our interview with Steve Park, founder of Little Lights Urban Ministries in Washington, D.C. 
I started getting to know Steve a couple years ago when my co-founder and I were starting to think about launching the Center for Christian Civics. And Steve has just always been really encouraging, really supportive, really eager to help other ministry leaders serve the Lord well. If you want to hear more from him about the history of Little Lights and about what it was like for like a Christian group to get space in a government building and about what he's been learning about leading a faith-based organization, then we're actually going to share the complete interview with all of our supporters later this month. So go to christiancivics.org, and anyone who makes a contribution or anyone who's made a contribution within the past year, uh, you're going to get that bonus episode when we send it out closer to Thanksgiving. Now, there was a lot in that interview that we just heard. We kind of touched on a lot of different topics, and there's really just no way we can do all of them justice now. So what we're going to do is, for the rest of this episode, we'll dive into two of my big takeaways from the conversation with Steve, just two of the things I learned from it about how to endure bad news. And if you go to our website, christiancivics.org, or if you check out our show notes, then we'll run two short blog posts that cover two more takeaways from the interview. Now, let's take a minute to talk about fear of burnout. This was maybe the most important takeaway from that conversation for me, and it's about not being afraid of burnout. I was just, I was so encouraged when Steve mentioned that he's had members of his team wear themselves out, burn out completely, leave the work entirely, and then come back. When things start to go wrong, it's really easy to imagine that it's not repairable. Like, when we get worn down, we can start feeling like all of the energy or the happiness or the hope that we had until that point were really just finite resources. Uh, when frustration or hopelessness or like burnout set in, it doesn't feel like a season that we're going through. It doesn't feel like a temporary status. Like Those emotions or those feelings, they... Uh, they convince us that they're the default, that anything else that we've experienced was just like, temporary and limited. Like, like they're the reality and everything else is an illusion. But hearing Steve mention that he's seen people burn out and go away, then come back and mention that so casually, it was it was great. It was an important reminder to me that the end of our strength is not the end of our story. Being confronted with problems that we can't solve, it feels cataclysmic, but it doesn't mean that we can't be used anymore. We still have value even when we fail. It's okay, and maybe even human, to feel like we're not up to the task sometimes, to feel overwhelmed. The reason that so much bad news takes its toll on us is because on some level, we know that the world isn't supposed to be like this. The reason we burn out or get despondent is because we know we can't take it. These things are too much for us. Burnout happens because it's a natural reaction to what we're seeing and what our country is going through. But Christians know that burnout 
ends in restoration. Either we're going to recover from it in this life, or we're going to be made perfect when the kingdom comes. But either way, we don't have to be afraid of burnout, because we know it's not the end. That said, we should still protect against it, because it's not what we're meant for. So, how do we protect against it? Or if it sets in, how do we recover from it? That's where we can look at something else that Steve brought up a few times during our interview. Prayer. It must seem really trite to hear a ministry leader talk about prayer over and over again as the thing that's helped him with whatever problem you're wondering about. But in this case, it really makes sense. Prayer's a big part of how you sort of activate your faith, how you start really enjoying your connection to God. It's the difference between conforming to Christian ideas and actually living a Christian life. Just being saved isn't enough to give us the kind of endurance that we need to get through seasons like this one. The Spirit opens the channels between us and God, but prayer is how we actually communicate over them. Jesus dealt with a lot of oppressive news. He cried over the pain and over the hurt in the world around him. He longed to draw entire cities to him, the way a mother hen gathers her chicks. If his spirit is alive in us, if he's reshaping us, then we're probably not going to become numb to bad news. When we hear about suffering and tragedy and oppression and injustice, we'll probably actually end up taking that news harder. Prayer and spiritual disciplines aren't about making ourselves better. They're about making the time and the space to let our wounded hearts rest and recover. They're about exposing ourselves to the healer. We need the comfort and the counsel and the companionship of Jesus. He's the one who saw all of this hurt and was able to still see the joy set before him. He sees the end of the pain and the end of the burnout more clearly than we do. Prayer is how we walk into his room and start talking things out with him. I'm sure there's a lot more in that interview we could tease out. There definitely is. And before we close, I'm going to ask you to share your thoughts about it. But first, let's actually practice letting our hearts heal and pray together. Our prayers this week are going to be led by Pastor Charles Drew. He's a member of the executive board at the Center for Christian Civics and the author of Body Broken, Can Republicans and Democrats Sit in the Same Pew? Let's join him for a scripture reading and prayer. I'm going to pray today about our praying. Before we we begin, listen to a portion of Exodus 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek 
prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this vivid story. You remind us that we are at war and that you understand how thoroughly war can exhaust us. Troubling news reports heaped up in rapid succession distress and wear us out. Homes incinerated in Northern California, fouled water and upended bridges in the Caribbean, the refugee-swollen borders of Bangladesh, bombings in Somalia, earthquakes in Mexico, murder in Las Vegas, and the list goes on. We don't know what to do sometimes, and we are losing the energy to do anything. We are wrung out emotionally by the ever-new accounts of disaster and grief. Thank you, Father, that there is always something that we can do, no matter how distant we are, no matter who we are, no matter how confused we are, no matter how tired we are, no matter how vast the problem. We can stand like Moses, surrounded by friends, and pray. We can cry out in the face of every hard thing for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can do this not only with friends like Aaron and her, but with you yourself, for your Holy Spirit lives within us, lifting our hands up. Father, we may count certain people as enemies, and they may be enemies towards us. But the deep and persistent enemy we cannot see. There is a profound malice at work in and around us, a person who hates you and for that reason hates everything that you have made and love. He loves to destroy communities with lies. He loves to incite us to hurt and ignore each other at home and abroad. He loves to see people suffer. He loves to paralyze us with heaped up stories of human misery and with accusations about our sin and weakness. He loves to assault our hope so that as nations and individuals we give up the battle against human suffering and oppression. Thank you, Lord, for giving us someone to hate, someone to turn all of our amassed frustration against. It isn't the Amalekites. It isn't Russia or the Democrats or the Republicans or any public official. It is the devil and all that he stands for. What a relief to know that we can, may, and should, with vigor and energy, consign Satan and his works to the fire. Thank you, Father, for reminding us in this story that our prayers are powerful. At the end of the day, Jesus, uh, Israel prevailed against a great enemy, and so it is with us. You have told us, Lord Jesus, that our prayers move mountains and tear down strongholds. Praying is the most powerful thing we could ever do. And so now, Lord Jesus, we stand with Moses, Aaron, and Hur as they raised your standard in the day of battle. We pray against lies. We pray against accusations. We pray against the temptations to give up loving our neighbors as ourselves. We pray against indifference to human suffering and for wisdom on where to direct our love. 
We pray for the just and fair distribution of aid in Puerto Rico and wherever it is needed. We pray for a just peace in Myanmar. We pray for consolation and help in reconstructing the burned-out homes and vineyards in Northern California. We pray against gun violence in our own country and against violence between the nations of the earth. And we pray, Lord, that the story of Jesus will find a receptive and enthusiastic hearing worldwide and that he will be loved, adored, and obeyed throughout our broken planet. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us in this story that prayer is work. It isn't the lazy alternative to actually doing something. It is the hardest and the most effective work available to us. It wore Moses out. It can wear us out too. For by it we do battle against great and pervasive evil, evil that saturates every human endeavor and every human heart, including, sadly, our own. And so, dear Lord, whatever else we do about the problems in our world, please keep us praying. Please keep us encouraging each other in prayer. And please keep us praying past our own particular private needs and problems. Help us to pray for your kingdom to come. How grateful we are, Lord Jesus, to know that you are with us, praying in us, praying through us, and praying for us. Thank you that you do not condemn us for our weak and spotty praying, for you have borne the guilt of our prayerlessness as fully as you have borne the guilt of every other sin. Thank you that you make our prayers holy and you bring them to the Father. Thank you for your invitation to come along with you joyfully and hopefully to the throne of grace and to cry with one voice for the throwing down of all that stands against love and beauty and truth. Thank you for the renewed energy for deeds of love and mercy that meeting the Father with you gives to us. And thank you, Lord, for the certain hope that our prayers for the kingdom will in fact be answered, for nothing and no one can stop you. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your mighty and loving name. Amen. Amen. All right, I have a quick question for you. What do you think of this podcast? We've been putting it together for a few months now, and we want to know what you think about it. If you like it, we'd love for you to leave a general review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That would really help us out. But we also want to know what jumped out to you about this episode in particular. I know that there was more in that interview than we could really unpack in one podcast episode. And like I said before, we're going to have some blog posts up pretty quickly about uh, humility and about making sure that your Christian faith is actually changing the way you do your work in the public square. But there was still a lot more in that interview that we could have picked up on. And so if there's something specific that you were really hoping we'd get into a little more or something in this episode that was especially encouraging or challenging to you, let us know. Find us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Christian Civics. 
we'll have this episode pinned to the top of our page. And we'd love for you to leave a comment uh, mentioning what was especially good for you this week or asking uh, about topics that you might want us to get into a little bit more. Now, before we go, a couple quick reminders. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. They'll have links to those blog posts that I mentioned about some of the other ideas we want to dig into. And they'll have some more information on prayer and prayer walking. They'll also include instructions on how to hear the complete interview. This was really just an excerpt from it. And they'll have a link to Steve's website, littlelights.org, where you can learn more about what Little Lights is doing. All right. Thank you all very much for being with us, for praying with us. We'll be back in about two weeks. And in the meantime, visit our website, christiancivics.org, to learn more about our work, empowering the church to be lamps on stands across the political spectrum. Thank you.